There is just such complexity right now in our world, in culture, conversations that are going on, different ideologies, philosophies, like there's so much. And so like, it's like, so even though I'm not in school right now, you just realize that, you know, holy crap, like I have to know my stuff if I'm going to be a pastor and if I'm going to shepherd people and lead people. And, All right, welcome to another episode of the Pastors Roundtable. I'm your host, Ryan Latham. I'm super excited to share with you my conversation with Spencer Conway today about the importance of theology in youth ministry. But before we jump into that conversation, I want to tell you and I want to invite you to take a look at Sermonary. Sermonary is a one-stop shop for all of your sermon needs, preparation, Uh, preaching outlines, getting your notes to all of your team, getting people to collaborate and share with you. Uh, They've got uh, sermon builders, sermon illustrations. Uh, They provide all kinds of templates for different types of teaching styles, three-point funeral even, apologetics, verse-by-verse teaching, even wedding ceremonies. They've got all kinds of great stuff to get you going. Now, if you're like me, Uh, You can even create your own sermon template that you just pull up and begin to turn in all of your notes, that kind of stuff um, for each and every sermon. So check it out at renewedleadership.org slash sermon. That's renewedleadership.org slash sermon to check out Sermonary. Uh, Again, they've got all kinds of great sermon templates, even illustrations. Uh, Even you can uh, purchase some sample sermons there uh, a lot of theirs are uh, books of the Bible. So check it out, renewleadership.org slash sermon. Well, Spencer, today I want to get into our conversation. We first met when you came out with your youth pastor, Mike Miller, uh, when he was coming out to speak at a camp and you were coming out to do some spoken word ministry. Awesome stuff, by the way. It was awesome. so good to meet you there. Uh, you were in high school when we first met and uh, you've yes. obviously graduated now. And for the last four years, you've been the youth pastor at your home church where you grew up. So a lot of unique things there. So Spencer, man, thanks for jumping on. Yeah, absolutely, man. Thank you for having me. So Spencer, I love your story. And we were talking before we even hit record there. Just there's so many unique things that um, I would love to get another podcast about because uh, your dad was your lead pastor. You grew up in that church. Uh, your youth pastor, Mike Miller, who was on episode number three of this podcast, talking about the blueprint for God's growth. Great episode. Uh, but he was your youth pastor. He was the youth pastor there for uh, like almost like 20 years, something like that. Um, and you grew up in the youth ministry with your dad's lead pastor. And then um, you were hired to be the youth pastor right at the same time that your dad transitions out of being the lead pastor and into a nonprofit role in the same community. And so here you are, the church you grew up in, the youth minister you just graduated from, you become the lead, the youth pastor, your dad transitions out, and you have a brand new lead pastor, all happening at the same time. So many beautiful things. Longevity is just part of the culture of your church, and I love it so much. So let's dive into a couple of those things. What is it like to be the youth pastor at the church you just grew, you grew up in, the youth ministry you had just graduated out of, 
serving after a guy that had been a youth pastor for so long. There's a lot there, but man, what is that like? Man, it's uh, it's a it's a unique experience. I think I think for sure. Where I'm from, a lot of people kind of have the the traditional go to seminary, and then through connections that you make at seminary, you kind of get dropped into into your your new church where you're going to start as a youth pastor or a worship pastor or wherever and there's no there's no pre-established connections but for me it was very very different um and uh I enjoyed it um I think that I think that it because it's all I've ever known it was like you know I don't have anything else to compare it against so I don't really have any complaints about it um I would just say that the amount of dual relationships that you have as you uh, become a leader or a pastor in a church where you grew up in, um, that is the main thing that makes it complicated. Um, and so what I found is that it, it, it demanded growth in me. It demanded that I would mature at a, at a faster pace because Growing up in the church, you have lots of people who look at me as the pastor's kid, lots of people who associate me with me. <laughs> like I have people that'll be like, oh, I remember when I was changing your diapers in the nursery. Oh, I remember when I was your grade two Sunday school teacher. Oh, I remember when I was your small group leader in youth group. Like you have all of that dynamic. Then you also have um, this dynamic that the youth leadership team that I was taking over were all peers that I was volunteering alongside for about three years before I actually became the youth pastor. Um, and so, yeah, there's just a lot of dual relationships. And so I think that for me, what was, what's been really important has been clarifying expectations in, in roles, um, clarifying to people even what hat you're wearing when you're having certain conversations with them because some of my youth volunteers are some of my best friends but then you have like best friends who are also volunteering for you and you need to have a conversation with them about like performance and so you know, like there's just so much to it um but uh it's been it's been a an experience that I I would never I would never take back you know I uh, I think that it's a part of what's made me who I am and you know you mentioned longevity that's a huge thing at our church our first lead pastor was the lead pastor here for 38 years before he handed it off to my dad and then my dad was was the lead pastor uh during his time for about 10 years and uh, and now Pastor Chris, he's uh, he's my lead pastor. He is uh, he's been in it for four years now, along alongside me. We both started at the same time, so it's uh, it's been a real opportunity for growth. That's for sure. And if I correct me if I uh, if I'm wrong here, but Chris, your lead, current lead pastor was an executive pastor with your dad for many years as well, right? Yeah, that's right. So the the process that actually happened to like lead to the switch was really interesting. So my dad, he was the lead pastor for about nine years, close to 10. And Pastor Chris was, uh, as you said, his executive pastor. And then as the time came, as they were discerning kind of next steps, and as, you know, elders began to confirm these things and decisions began to get made, they actually had a one year period where they swapped roles. And so my dad, because my dad was the original lead pastor's executive, so my dad switched back to the executive pastor role for a year as he was transitioning out. 
Pastor Chris was the lead pastor for that first year during that role swap. And uh, and then my dad found a job at uh, a nonprofit organization. So really interesting experience. But in a way, it was there was definitely growing pains and frustrations that we probably all felt, as you always do in the midst of change and transition. But man, um, I don't know. There's something about just like about like, yeah, that that commitment to just stick with one another, regardless of you know, the things that are going on in life, like it's, it, it was pretty, it was pretty special. So, yeah. Really great story of succession, both lead pastor role and youth pastor role. These, the raising up and creating pipelines and creating, raising up people. Um, and it's not just about you, such a great example of that. Um, love that. And so um, want to move into this conversation. Um Hold on. All right. So I want to transition because, uh, you, you know, you were hired and at the same time, new lead pastor. So, uh, you know, you kind of probably had it in your mind, maybe, man, I'm going to work for my dad. He's a lead pastor. And then you got to transition to a brand new lead pastor. So talk about that. What was that transition like? Um, how was that? I'm sure there's a lot. Of, again, you mentioned earlier having to learn and to grow. And I'm sure this made you have to learn and, and grow as well. Yeah, you know what? It's funny. Um, I actually feel like I um, I love my dad and he was a great lead pastor, but I actually struggled um, during the time that I worked for him. Uh, I mentioned earlier part of the, part of the difficulty in um, – working at the church that I grew up in is dual relationships. Um, people, people are, you have people who are, they're your, your friends, they're your fellow church goers. They are volunteers. They are all kinds of different things. And then of course, at the highest level, <laughs> I have that compounded in many different ways with my dad. He's my dad, but he's also my pastor. He's also my boss. He's also all these things. And um, my dad, I thought he did a great job. We had a lot of key conversations, but it was just, I don't know. It was just weird. It was, it was really hard to, I don't know, just, I don't know how to even describe it. It was just hard because I'm brand new and I'm trying to figure out like, what are my what are my opinions about this stuff? And, you know, you ask for feedback and maybe you have a perspective that, that is different than your dad's perspective in a board and in a, in a staff meeting. And it's like, this is weird. Do, should I voice my opinion right now in front of all the staff and, 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 and disagree with my dad? Like, so it's just weird. You know what I mean? So I actually didn't like, again, I have, I love working with my dad, but when I actually found out that things were switching, um, it wasn't as tough as you would think that it would be because, as I said previously, Pastor Chris, he was my dad's right-hand man for nine years, and they were close, close friends as well. So for me, as a junior high and high school student growing up, Pastor Chris was was like a uncle. He was like a second father figure in many ways. So there was already such a strong uh, trust developed. He's almost like family. You know what I mean? That that 
the transition, it wasn't like there was this brand new guy who we didn't have any connection with coming in to lead things that we had to now work towards building trust with. The trust was already there. The only thing that really um, shifted for me, it was kind of a psychological shift because now there was one layer of the dual relationship that was removed and now um, there's just like an extra level of freedom that I felt in terms of how I could operate, share my opinion, speak freely around the table, you know, uh, not even, and also, you know, I know that like it's more common in America, depending on the tradition that you're from, for like fathers and sons to like, you know, maybe pass off a church to one another. But in Canada, like that's not really part of the church culture up here. So there was even like this sense of like, man, maybe like people just think that I just kind of got this opportunity because of my dad. But now maybe there's an opportunity for me to really show like, not that I that I had a, a chip on my shoulder, but maybe in some ways I did have a chip on my shoulder. I wanted to be able to, you know, get in the muck of ministry myself without having to, you know, be in my dad's shadow or feel like I'm having to fill my dad's shoes or stuff like that. So there was like a freedom that I began to feel and experience. Um, and and it's been great. It's been great. And my dad and Pastor Chris, they continue to be great friends today. The relationship is great. My parents still attend our church, which is cool. That's a weird thing about our church, dude. Pastor Chris is the third lead pastor in our 50-year history. And both lead pastors still are covenant members at our church like it's kind of weird so rad it's so cool that there's <laughs> so cool. much of that trust there um so in the past couple of years you've really uh becoming a lot more passionate about the importance of theology in your own life and in your ministry so just talk about a little bit of that that uh passion of yours where did it come from and what have you been doing to kind of stir that passion for theology? Oh man, such a great question. It really is become probably the greatest passion of my life. I mean, next to Jesus and my wife, um, I'm a geek, dude. I'm a nerd. I love to read. I love to study. I love, I, I just love it all. I, 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 if I, if I didn't feel a deep call to the ministry, I think I would be a professional student for the rest of my life. Like I, I seriously could do that. I think that I went to Bible college and there was one, there was, it's so funny, you know, so I come from a Pentecostal charismatic tradition. Okay. Um, and I don't know how diverse your listening audience would be. Um, I know that you're associated with like AOG, right? So like a lot of Pentecostals in the house. Okay. Well, then some of the listeners would be able to resonate probably that sometimes in Pentecostal charismatic circles, there's a bit of a, um, what's the word, a stigma around theology and around going to Bible college because the Holy Spirit is my teacher. I don't need, what are you guys talking about? I have the Holy Spirit, right? Um, <laughs> and so uh, there's this meme that I saw one time that perfectly described me and how I felt when I first started going to Bible college. It's this boardroom with a bunch of professional people sitting around the boardroom table and Big Bird from uh, Sesame Street is sitting in between all of them and the statement says, charismatics in Bible college be like, 
You know, and it's just like so out of place, right? Like Big Bird is just sitting there. And that's how I felt, right? Like I'm like a Holy Spirit guy. I grew up in like a Pentecostal church. And so I honestly remember going to Bible college. And in that first week, I was telling people, man, I am here to get my foundations, get my basics, and then I'm gone. I'm hitting I'm hitting the ground running in ministry and that'll be that. But what's so funny is that three years later, when I was done and graduating, and even into my first and second year of ministry, I found myself longing to actually go back to Bible college because what happens is you get into the trenches of ministry and you realize that like, if you're not going to be about continuing education as a pastor, like you are going to get eaten alive because, you know, there is just such complexity right now in our world, in culture, conversations that are going on, different ideologies, philosophies, like there's so much. And so like, it's like, so even though I'm not in school right now, you just realize that, you know, holy crap, like I have to know my stuff if I'm going to be a pastor and if I'm going to shepherd people and lead People And so my favorite class in Bible college was hermeneutics, which, you know, it's about learning, you know, the art of interpreting scripture, um, the science of interpreting scripture, how to, you know, do proper exegesis. And I loved hermeneutics so much because it kind of made me realize like, wow, if as Christians we believe, which we do believe this, that scripture is the foundation of like of truth, right? Like, like it is, it is our our highest authority in truth, I realized, wow, if I want to be confident about what I believe, then I need to have really good skills when it comes to interpreting scripture. And so it's kind of like this thing that the deeper you go, the more vast it becomes, like the more you dig at it, the more, and it's not overwhelming, like it could overwhelm you. But for me, it's just like, I, I feel like a kid in a candy shop, like the deeper I dig into a subject, the more I try to go, the, the it's just like this whole world continues to get opened up to me. Um, and so, yeah, man, I, I mean, I don't know. Like for me, I think theology is everything. A.W. Tozer has this great quote where he says, you know, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And I really do believe that because, you know, if you have if you have proper theology, if you have right thinking about who God is, you know, then that's going to affect your experience with God. It's going to affect how you live out your faith practically with God and with other people. But if you have improper theology, if you have un, like improper thoughts about God that aren't biblical, that's going to, again, impact your experience with God. It's going to impact how you live life with God and with your Christian community. And so I really do believe that like, if you kind of if you if you really dug deep into people's into people's um, you know struggles with all kinds of different things, I'm not saying it all could be fixed by theology alone, but I think that there is always going to be a theological implication to the things that people are struggling with. You know, potentially bad theology that you need to you know expose and replace with with good sound biblical theology um or you know maybe an emphasis that is biblical but it's not being uh tempered by the whole counsel of god's word like there's so many things that people you know struggle with in their relationship with god that if we could just have good teachers in the body of christ 
pastors and teachers who are able to rightly divide the word of truth, I think that it would set a lot of people free. Um, you know, they're strongholds that people have in their minds. So anyway, I could go on and on and on about theology, bro. I love theology. Um, and I love theology. And this is kind of my heart, like spirit and truth that theology, I think I, I, I for me, the conviction that I've come to, especially as a Pentecostal charismatic guy, I reject the false dichotomy that it's either Holy Spirit or theology. I think it's a marriage of the both. Jesus has called us to worship him in spirit and in truth. And so, yeah, I think that, you know, you can be a flaming tongue talker and, uh, you know, a passionate student as well. And it doesn't have to be one or the other. It can be both. And that's kind of the that's kind of the 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 trail that I'm trying to blaze in my life is uh, is is that kind of thing. So yeah. Well, how has this theology shaped you as a youth pastor, right? Because I think oftentimes when people think of youth ministry, oftentimes it leans more towards fun and entertainment, and it's got to be um, you know attractional. And, and, you know, it's got to be all of these things that that keeps a, you know, a 15 a, a year old's attention span for, you know, the five, five minutes that they can pay, pay attention to. So how has it shaped you uh, as a youth pastor and even how you begin to think about your youth ministry? Man, it's so funny because like I'm on the journey, right? Like, like. I, I, I kind of laughed a little bit looking at the, the, well, I didn't laugh. I think it's awesome. This is what I'm passionate about, but to position myself as a person who has like this, this, I love theology and I'm a youth pastor and I figured out how to marry like theology in the context of youth ministry. Like, dude, I am trying to figure that out. Like, I don't know, man. I'd say this, there's, there's definitely, there's definitely changes that have happened in the way that I think about youth ministry from when I first started that I probably have yet to fully explore their implications in a local context. So I'm kind of still fleshing that out right now. And I'm excited about a lot of the things that, that, that I'm exploring. There's definitely, uh, I think I have a good story that I could tell that would, that I think would probably paint a good picture for the change that's happened in my in my perspective. I remember about a week before I was going to be um it was going to be announced at our church that I was taking over the youth ministry. It was going to kind of be the official passing of the baton. I had a panic attack uh in my car with my wife Sarah. We were down at this local park and I had I had this panic attack and I just start hyperventilating and it's like the whole the 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 narrative that kept on going through my mind was it was like a fear of failure a fear that i am going to give say 5 years 10 years 15 maybe 20 years of my life to this youth ministry and i don't know if i have what it takes to be a successful youth pastor and have a successful youth ministry and here's what's changed i would say back then as a young pastor, I was so engulfed in the leadership culture of, of church ministry and, and like the, I, I, it's not that I was like, like neck deep in the seeker sensitive attractional movement. Um, but I think that that has been so widespread that most of the guys that I was reading probably were giving me 
metrics and principles that were coming from that. And I think that this, that, that that movement, even the church growth movement, has give, given a ton of positive stuff to the church as a whole. But what was happening to me in that moment is I had a metric in my mind as a as a as a just about to be youth pastor that if I don't double or triple or quadruple or you know 10x whatever the number is going to be my youth ministry in the 10 20 30 years that I might be here I'm going to be a failure I'm going to be a colossal failure and it was so intense that it literally led to a panic attack and I would say that until covid I was leading my ministry on the assumption that bigger is better that growth is the number one metric that matters now growth is important but when i say growth i mean numerical growth that's the only thing that matters and so you know that kind of became the thing that was driving me and what's more is that over the first year and a half i was a youth pastor for a year and a half before covid hit over the first year and a half of youth ministry, it actually, our youth ministry was going so well. We were riding the momentum of, of a new youth pastor. I, w- I implemented a new uh, like small group centric uh, youth ministry strategy where we were going to build this youth ministry through small groups. And it was just going so well. Numbers were good. Uh, our our retreats were good. Our small groups were good. I mean, there's always there's always imperfections, but it's, it was almost like that raw momentum that you feel when there's something new. We were living on that. Well, then COVID hits, and it was it's just like, you know what I mean? It's just like such a stark contrast. And so all of a sudden, the metric that I've been using to to you know feel as though we're doing something right. It's gone with COVID for two years. I have to figure out how I'm supposed to pastor these kids. And we were up in Canada, y'all. I know that most of your audience is probably American. So they probably are like, I don't know how you guys did it up in Canada. It was it was really intense. Restrictions up here. You know, we, we did church online for a while. Um, restrictions back and forth back and forth masks social distancing i mean we we all know what it what it was about we had it everywhere and man what happened to me through covid is i realized that there was a lot of assumptions that i made about pastoral ministry and about youth ministry in general that i just you just step back and you're like oh my gosh if i keep going in this direction thinking that this is the way that it always is purely and only about getting a ton of butts and seats i am not going to make it and that anxiety and panic that attacked me in the very start before i even started it's going to be like a low hum for the rest of my life because it's never going to be enough and so what's happened to me i would say is theologically I've had a paradigm shift in that it's not that I don't want us to be evangelistic. Of course I want us to be evangelistic. But I I heard somebody say it like this a while ago at a conference that I was listening to. He said, I don't want to build a big church. I want to build big Christians. And that's kind of my goal at this point as a youth pastor is that I want to have such a strong and rich discipleship culture in our youth ministry. I want to be able to actually make sure that our kids are 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 understanding their faith, not just mentally, but also experientially. I want to make sure that we're hosting prophetic environments where they're actually able to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit over their lives. 
coupled with theology that, man, by the time that they leave our, our group, I just will know I had so many opportunities to like actually pour into that kid in a, in a Jesus kind of way, the way that he poured into his disciples that, uh, yeah, that I won't have to, uh, that I won't have to, I don't know, sit back and feel like I did something wrong. So now dude, we've switched our model. We're doing a new model now that if I was, if I was basing it on numbers, I wouldn't do it. But now we only do a youth service once a month. We have home groups uh, three weeks of the month, and dude, our numbers go down. Th- <laughs> our numbers go down like 30 percent in our home group weeks. But here's the thing: I step back and I look at what God is doing in our youth ministry right now, and there's more fruit, like actual biblical fruit, like not just numbers and seats, but like the conversations and, and, and the relationships. And I'm seeing our kids start to engage in Sunday worship. I'm seeing our kids start to actually take steps of growth in their faith. I'm like, man, there was always a sense in our youth ministry where there was like a really engaged crowd. And there was a peripheral who, you know, they just were coming because they had to or whatever. Now it's like, we're still casting the net wide once a month to try to bring people in, to try to reach people's friends. But three weeks out of the month, we're going deep into teaching in our small groups. We're having lots of time to just talk and hang out and do life. And it's translating into just such a a more holistic health, I feel, in the life of our church where, yeah, anyway, as you can tell, I'm a talker, um, but that's a huge paradigm shift for me. I'm just, I'm more focused on, yeah, I'd say discipleship and uh, just pouring into kids' lives one-on-one. Like, even for me as a youth pastor, like I have one small group that I run now once a year. It took me, and I feel embarrassed to say this, but it took me three years, Ryan, before I realized, man, as a youth pastor, I should have my own small group that I have where I pour into kids. Three years before I started doing that, but this past year I started it, and we poured into 12 uh, high school students' lives. Uh, I had two other leaders, my wife and another leader, and I think there was, yeah, 10 or 11 students maybe just pouring into them. Just once a month we met. It wasn't even that much. I only met with them like 12 times throughout the year. Man, we ended the year off with the spiritual uh, formation retreat with them and just the things that God did in their lives. Like I'm just sitting back and I'm like, God, have I had it all wrong all this time? You know what I mean? So anyway. All right. So you walked this team through this, this small group. I love what you said. You ended with a spiritual formation retreat. I'm sure there's people like myself saying, what does that mean? What did that look like? What, what, what was that? Yeah. So, uh, I took, so the way that we did our, the way that we did this small group was super simple. I like to read. And so I found a book that basically was a spiritual formation book. This book that we use is called the good and beautiful God. It's by a guy named James Bryant Smith. He's right in there with the Dallas Willard crew. Uh, Dallas Willard was his spiritual mentor for a number of years. So think of this guy's book as Dallas Willard's philosophy on spiritual formation applied. It's like the applied, they call it uh, a curriculum for Christ, uh, for Christ likeness. Um, And so the book was awesome, man. 
uh, it's a three-part series. The first book uh, is called uh, The Good and Beautiful God, and it's all about falling in love with the God that Jesus knows. And every chapter, the goal is to expose a false narrative or bad theology that we have about God that's that's not biblical, and then replacing it with a tr- with a true narrative or good theology that Jesus gives us in the Gospels about the the nature of of God the Father, falling in love with the God Jesus knows. And then with every chapter, there was a spiritual discipline that they would that the author would challenge the student to do as a way to help experience the reality of that truth about God. And so we would meet once a month and we would have our readings. We would go through our readings. We would have a conversation, uh, you know, hang out for a bit, have food, have drinks, whatever. Um, and then we'd have an intentional conversation and we would pray together. We would do all of this together. And then we would look at the spiritual discipline and say, okay, we're going to hold each other accountable for this month. And we're going to practice this spiritual discipline together in community. So we did that all year from August to now it's, it's, uh, uh, the end of the school year, basically. And, um, we ended things off with the spiritual formation retreat where basically we'd done all the book and now we were going to get together just to really do life together for a weekend. And my heart, again, Pentecostal charismatic guy going into the weekend was to have a prophetic word for each and every student who was going to be there. So I went into the weekend, prayed up, believing that God was going to specifically minister through me, uh, to bring prophetic words to these students. And that's exactly what God did, man. He brought some clear prophetic words, not just through me, but also through my wife and through one of our other leaders. And we ministered to these students in a small, intimate context. We had already done the legwork all year long, meeting with them consistently, building trust, building credibility with them. And then to cap the, the year off, Oh, dude, it was amazing. I'm telling you, I'm going to do this every year as a youth pastor. I could never, I could never trade the experience that I have with these students and the testimonies that I've had coming in. It's been two weeks since we did this retreat from all these kids, all of them saying, man, I wish that we could have been away for an extra day. All of them saying, you know, that was, and I know that youth pastors love to over-exaggerate. Pastors love to over-exaggerate. These are their words, not my, not mine. All of them told me that was the best weekend of my life. They all told me that. And I'm like, "Well, why? That's a bit like that's a bit extreme." And they're just saying it was just so uh intimate. It was so safe. We were able to unwind from everything, but it's different than like a regular big retreat where it's a hundred people at a retreat or whatever. Like, and uh, God just ministered to them in such a special way. And so I could go on about the, the retreat in particular, but I think the principle that I've learned is that it really matters to make time to pour into your youth in a well, it's like Jesus, dude. Like, it's like how Jesus did it. He had 12 disciples, you know, he poured into them over the course of three years. So guess what we're doing? We're continuing the same group for another year. My plan is to run it for three full years. And there might be some kids that have to leave because they graduate high school and start university and they're not able to. 
And if they have to leave, we're going to bless them as they leave. And that's okay. We'll probably invite a few, a few new ones over, over, you know, the, the years into the group. There might be a little bit of a revolving door here and there, but dude, I just, I just have this conviction that as a youth pastor, like, and that's the thing, nothing really has changed as far as our philosophy, Ryan, we're a small group ministry. Like we run our youth ministry on small groups, but what's changed for me now is that because I'm running my own small group and pouring into these kids myself, it's like I'm living it out in a in a deeper way as an example for our leaders. I'm pouring into our students in a deep way, and so now I actually have something to draw on to inspire my leaders with in terms of how they they can pour into their students. So, yeah, I love it's it. been awesome, man. I know one thing that you have done um, is to take some of that passion for theology and you've done some YouTube videos um, as well. Um, and so I yeah. think that's another practical way that uh, not all of this has to be done in the context of your youth service. There's so many other avenues doing things. I know youth pastors do things on TikTok or, um, you know, like I said, YouTube, things like that. And so kind of bringing some of that element in, I know for you, one of your heart, you know, passion for the YouTube channel was this idea that students can go to that um, anytime. And it's not just within the context of their student ministries and leveraging uh, YouTube being, I think it's the number one, number two search engine in the world, um, and leveraging that and allowing students to have a source, not just for themselves, but for their friends who have tough questions and are asking these tough questions about scripture and, and the Bible. And so you want to share a little bit about kind of that avenue of how you've, have you've leveraged YouTube? And, and I know you've used yeah, it absolutely. in different, different ways. Absolutely. Um, for me, YouTube has been about exactly that. It's been about trying to create a space where students can go 24-7 to, to learn more about the scriptures than just, you know, limiting it to, um, you know, your two-hour youth program once a week. Um, my YouTube channel, my whole goal is is just to try to help people get into their Bibles Um my thought is if I can just help people start the habit, if I can just help people start the habit of getting into their Bible, then that's going to be half the battle. There's going to be lots of interpretive questions that come up as students actually get into the Bible. But it's like, what's the point in trying to have all these conversations about interpretation when half the people who you're trying to talk to about these interpretive issues, they aren't even reading their Bibles. So for me, my heart is to have the fun, the fun conversations about you know, what about this in the Bible? What about that in the Bible? And so I try to create content that speaks to that. But the big thing that I'm trying to do on YouTube is just create simple tip videos that encourage kids. Hey, it's not actually that hard to read your Bible. Like, let me just, let me just explain this for you, right? Like consider this, consider that if you just do these three things, then you can get into a good habit of reading your Bible each day. So I've started making Bible reading plans that I share there on a, on a decent basis. Um, tip videos that, that, you know, help them, you know, just think through practical things in reading your Bible, not even theological things, just practical things. And then every now and then I will invite a guest on to just have a fun conversation about scripture, how we interpret scripture. My big uh, thing that I'm passionate about is helping Christians think 
about how they read the Bible. So yes, I'm trying to get them to read the Bible, but I also want them to start thinking about, about what's actually happening when you're reading the Bible. What lens are you looking at the scriptures through? Because we don't talk about that a lot of the times with people, but that's a huge part of, of interpretation. It's realizing all of the presuppositions that you bring to the Bible and being aware of your presuppositions and, and recognizing that, man, if you're not aware of your presuppositions, you could actually be reading a lot of your assumptions into the Bible, you know? And so exposing your assumptions and holding them at arm length and making sure that we're doing our best to, to really try to be faithful to the text and find out what the author meant and find out how the audience would have understood it and all these different things. So it's been good. Um, it's been something that I've found a bit difficult to keep up with as I'm in the throes of, of, of youth and young adult ministry. And, you know, we're starting a Bible college at our school that I'm going to be the program director at. So it's uh, it's been tough sometimes to keep up with it, but it is honestly worth it because every now and then I'll have conversations with students, even in our youth ministry, in reference to a video that I've made saying, hey, I found that video really helpful. Thanks for making that. Or, hey, I had a question as I was watching your video. You said this and it made me think of this. Can you explain a little bit more about that? And so well, and that's it really what's great has, about putting videos yeah. up on YouTube is they live there forever. Right. Right. So you don't have to continually, 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 continually teach it over and over and over and over and over again. You can you can put it up there and it's there. And two, three years later, a student in your youth ministry comes across it and it's like, yeah, it's it's still there. And and so right. I, I, I know you say it's hard, but what's what's great about it is. You know, if you if you do, uh, you know, batching, you know, you record three, four five at one time and then you you put them up. And if you don't do it for a month or two months, that's fine. They're still there. And so, uh, you know, I know a lot of youth pastors have this idea like, man, I want to do that. I want to get into it. But again, they feel kind of overwhelmed. They're like, man, I got to put a video up every single week. I got to put I just encourage you. You don't have to put up some videos and then if you don't get around to it again for another three, four months, that's fine. They're still there. And then maybe you got some more time. Go and do some more videos and put them back up there. So I, I want to encourage you guys, if, if you've been feeling like that's something you should do, uh, I want to encourage you to go for it. And don't feel like, uh, man, I got to do this every single week or else I'm not a great you know, YouTuber. And that's I don't think the heart should be, you know, oh, I want to be this great influencer. I want to be this YouTuber, but just I want to provide another resource for my students. If it grows into something, that's great. But I want to encourage you guys, dive in. Um, your students would love to see you and hear from you in a different way. And again, it's another way of adding, um, you know, an opportunity to share some theology or Bible reading tips that maybe your youth ministry service doesn't have the space or the context for that can be another outlet for you um, to, to provide that. So Spencer, I want to ask you this, you've been in um, some different um, continued education programs. Uh, you've done a lot of, you know, kind of research studying on your own for the person that, that wants to take that next step. What are some resources or places that they, they can dive into to kind of get the ball going that you've leaned into and that you would suggest? Yeah, man, that's such a great question. And I have 
the best answer ever in my personal humble opinion. There is a resource that I've been using for the past two and a half years called Theos University. Okay, Theos University. Um, you can find them, I think, at theosu.com. I might need to double check that and you can put it in, in your show notes potentially. Um, but Theosu, um, here's why I love Theosu. Theosu is a, is a they, they call it Bible College, or sorry, it's the Netflix for theology. So it's a subscription-based platform. You pay a monthly subscription similar to a Netflix subscription, and they have a, uh, an ever-growing library of Bible college courses that are distilled. So it's distilled Bible college courses, making Bible college accessible for um, either the lay person or the pastor who is wanting to continue to learn, but maybe, you know, you don't have the time or it's not the right season to go back into a, into a legit program. So the thing I love about it as a Pentecostal charismatic is that the guys who started it grew up just like me. Their names are Nathan and Gabriel Finocchio. They're the co-founders. They grew up Pentecostal charismatic kids. They went to Bible college. Their theology began to get probably, you know, uh, rounded out in some ways. They're still Pentecostal. Well, I don't know if they would still identify as Pentecostal, but they would still be charismatic guys. They're passionate about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but they're passionate about, about the scripture. They have other emphases that I love. For example, they're really passionate about, um, they're ecumenical, they are evangelical, but they're also, they have a high view of, of like church history and like the place of church history and church tradition in the way that we interact with theology. Um, so like there's just, there's so many healthy parts of how they do theology that I've been blessed by and it's cheap, you know, I'm, I'm lucky, you know, I'm on staff at a church, so my church pays for my subscription. So for me, it's free. Um, but I would say there's no better tool out there um, that uh, is that accessible. And right now, if you join, man, I think that they probably have like, they probably have like 70 plus courses they do they basically what they do is they upload a new theology course and a new hot topic every month and that's one of the things i love about them is that they are not afraid to have the hard conversations man they've got stuff on there about abortion sexuality transgenderism um they have a course on socialism on on like just so many random things that you they never would have thought to have like a theological conversation about. They just go there. They go where a lot of people don't want to go. And that's what I love about it is that as a pastor, when there's complex conversations that are happening, it's a resource that I can go to. It's not the end all be all, you know, I, I try to expose myself to, you know, a wide plethora of voices. Another, another resource I would recommend is the theology in the raw podcast by Preston Sprinkle. That's one of my favorites. Um, um, if you want to hear conversations from people that are going to constantly agree with everything that you already agree with, I wouldn't recommend the Theology in the Raw podcast because he brings on a very diverse uh, amount of guests, uh, many of which he wouldn't even necessarily agree with. But he's just exposing his audience to like the wide range of, of theological viewpoints that are out there. So I'd recommend Preston's podcast as well. And uh, yeah, I'm just trying to think. That's probably it for now. Those are the resources that would come come to mind right quick. I like Bible Project stuff too. Great. Love that. 
All right. So I love to, to end with this question. Um, you know, we all know that it's really important for leaders to refuel themselves out uh, up because they're pouring out so much. So in your personal life, what is something that brings renewal for you? Mm, that's a great question. So I have uh, learned to practice Sabbath every week. That's become a staple in my life. I'm I'm stumbling through the practice of Sabbath. It's harder than it looks, especially in our culture. But I would tell youth pastors, man, you got to have a Sabbath. Um, it needs to become a non-negotiable in your life if you're going to be effective for the long haul. And then a new practice that I've been integrating into my life that has really been blessing me is a practice called the daily office. Um, if you've never heard of the daily office, um, it basically is fixed hour prayer. Um, it's I can't remember exactly where it comes from. I think that maybe it was first developed by St. Benedict um, in his in his uh, monastic uh, communities. But the idea is really simple. You're 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 basically intending. Uh, not, you know, in evangelical circles, it, we're all about the quiet time. And, and I love quiet time. I do, I do my quiet time every morning, you know, try to spend about half hour to an hour with the Lord. But fixed hour prayer, I think, is like an additional thing that you can kind of add into your schedule that's going to help you stay connected to Jesus, stay connected to his spirit throughout the day. So what I do is I wake up in the morning, I have a quiet time, and then at lunch and Sometime in the evening, I try to have 10 to 15 minutes where I steal away just for a little bit. And I actually have a devotional that I use. There's lots of ways that you could do it. Read a psalm, read a proverb, whatever. Um, and I just, I take time to sit in silence with the Lord where I just put a timer on and I practice uh, silent prayer, just listening to the to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Take a little bit of time to read the scripture, pray the scripture over my life. And uh, man, for me, that has been a real blessing because how many of you guys probably know ministry, it can get busy and uh, Sabbath is that weekly rhythm, but daily office is that daily rhythm now where I know that every day there's going to be an opportunity for me to retreat. There's going to be an opportunity for me to get refueled. So I'd encourage that. That's been a game changer for me, Sabbath and the daily office. Um, uh, Pete Scazzaro from Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. Love all of his stuff. I would recommend you guys check out his books. Um, but he has a book called um, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality 40 Days, I think. So that's actually the resource that I've been using for my uh, daily office times. It has um, a, script, a scripture passage, a pre-written prayer that you can read and just some prompts to encourage you to spend two to three minutes sitting in silence and stillness. And it normally only takes me like 10 minutes. So I'll do that, you know, twice a day. And I just find that it's super helpful. Um, but yeah, that's probably it right now. So good, Spencer. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, thank you uh, for listening to this episode of the Pastors Roundtable podcast. It's been a great conversation and I want to encourage you guys to uh, dive into some, some deeper theology, bring that into your ministry. I also want to remind you about our Youth Pastors Network. Uh, we are uploading lots of resources and content there for you. Uh, you can look at that at renewedleadership.org slash network. Join there. It's totally free to join. Join the conversation. Be a part. Also, 
Uh, my book is still available on Amazon. It's called Prepared for Impact. It's 12 Keys to Unlock You and Your Youth Ministry. Take a look on Amazon and can't wait to be with you guys again shortly when we release another episode of the podcast. Thanks for listening.